following radio programs are original broadcasts. While enhancements have been made to the audio for clarity and listener enjoyment, no other edits or modifications have been made. The listener may hear advertisements and notices for tobacco products, alcohol, food, and or services that may no longer be available, nor are they endorsed by whose blind life is it anyway. Listener discretion is advised. Great Sunday afternoon to y'all. How, how is everybody doing today? I hope you've had a good week, and I hope that I'll have some stuff here this afternoon to entertain you. Um, this is Monica and Victor, and welcome to Arts, the afternoon radio theater Sunday, and um, some of you wanted to know why we call it Sunday especially with the spelling the way it is it's because um, I try to put two or three shows in that will be like a, a variety like uh, maybe a drama and then a mystery and something else um, so that you have kind of like a mixed Sunday <laughs> that's a good call that's a very good call so oh I'm glad you approve I do approve yes um, I do approve wholeheartedly. <laughs> what kind hey. of Sundays do you like? Uh, strawberry. Really, I love bananas. I, I love, love banana Sundays. Uh huh. Yeah. I love strawberry. I love banana, and I especially love them when they're together. Strawberry and banana. Yeah, I mean, it's gotten to the point where I can't stand really sugary stuff. Yeah, I'm that way. I mean, I used to take like four sugars in my coffee and now I can barely take one. Oh lord, I can't stand sugar in my coffee at all. Oh really? Yeah. Wow. So do you drink it black? I drink it black. Well there now, you have it folks. <laughs> if, if I'm having a coffee like in the middle of the day or in the afternoon then mm -hmm. I like a flavored coffee. Um, I still don't want it real sweet but you know I, I like something like that, but first thing in the morning, I want my black coffee. Wait, a flavored coffee such as? Oh, French vanilla or amaretto or... Uh, mocha. Mocha or something. Uh, pumpkin spice or cinnamon or... Right. You know, I've never understood what the draw is for pumpkin spice. But then again, I, I pumpkin isn't really one of my favorite well, gourds. I, I like it in pumpkin cake and pumpkin bread and pumpkin cookies, but I'm not a huge pumpkin pie person. Depends on how it's really, made. Really, you are the first person to tell me that. Everybody I talk to says they love pumpkin pie during Thanksgiving. If my daddy was alive, he'd tell you he didn't like it either. <laughs> really? Wow. Yeah. I mean, I understand. I I can't seriously understand how. I mean, don't get me wrong. If someone was to give me a, a piece of pumpkin pie, I would eat it just to be polite, because it's not the most terrible taste. But it's not something. It's not I something you'd want every day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Or probably even once a week, you wouldn't want it. <laughs> or once a month for that matter. <laughs> 
But now my I had a mother in law. Uh-huh. Um I had when I had my third husband, I had the best in laws. And uh but my mother in law she could make she made the old fashioned pumpkin pie, but one year she made it like a cream pumpkin pie in a graham cracker crust and oh it was so good. I'm sorry, is that um, not normally how you make it? No. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't Usually, know there were there would I th- I thought there was only the one way to make it. It usually uh, is made the traditional way. It's made in a pie crust, you know, just mm-hmm. and um, but this recipe that she had, um, she got from her sister and she made it, and oh, it was just glorious. And she could make the best zucchini cake, so the zucchini bread. Oh man. Now that I'd like to try. Oh, it is so hers was so good. It was moist. Zucchini bread actually sounds delicious. Mm. Hers was. Yeah, I can but, only imagine what it banana was. Banana like. bread, anything she made like that was so good. Wow. Now is this is this classified as down home cooking? Uh yeah. To me. So it is. It is like standard Southern fare. Uh, yeah, it is. But I can't. You know, I can't tell you that it was originated in. Uh, uh, no, 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 no. Because I no. don't want. I don't want somebody out here in Radio Land to. <laughs> she said <laughs> this, and that's not so. It, it, oh, I know. I know. I know. Believe me. Um, I can't imagine how many people just were yelling at me yesterday when I did my. Uh, my Victor's thoughts on uh, legal um, oh what was it I was talking about legal definitions and stuff um, yeah people were yelling at me like crazy uh, probably because I was getting some things wrong and and you know what at the end of the day none of what I said was incorrect the law is actually as simple as a couple of words. Well, I've got to listen to it. <gasps> wow, I can't believe you just said that. Are you not hooked to every sentence I broadcast? Uh, yes, usually I am, dear. But I, <laughs> I, I hadn't got to that one yet. You keep popping out popcat podcasts like they're cookies or something. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, did anybody catch the uh, Zoe's uh, Blind Kitchen Corner this week when she made garbage cookies? <laughs> yeah, I've got to go back and get that one. I want to learn how to make garbage cookies. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. I, I mean, I, fir- I started laughing the first time I heard it from her. Um, I mean, wait a second. Did you mean to actually say garbage cookies? I think uh, I've heard of those somewhere, though. Seriously. Have you? I've, I've got to listen to her recipe. They're, uh, I know they'll be full of everything but garbage. <laughs> yeah. And, and probably by the time she gets done with them, it seems like a garbage truck should come there probably. <laughs> I'm sure well, she messes I mean, up the whole kitchen. I, I have it on good authority that the next one will be Smarties Cookies. Uh, the next show will be Smarties Cookies. Because this seems to be her uh, 
uh, children's special this week. Well, because next couple of weeks. Well, if I eat some of those, maybe I'll be smart. <laughs> That's a distinct possibility. I mean, I've I haven't seen any medical evidence that says smarties increase your intelligent levels but hey i'm willing to try <laughs> hey and i just showed my my intelligence with that word gosh i'm come i'm i'm getting smarter and smarter either that or you're becoming more and more unglued but no that's okay oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, what do we have for our listeners today um we have um, an episode of the Academy Awards Theater. It's called Jezebel, and it stars Betty Davis. And I forgot who the other star was. I, just, I should go back and check that, but it'll tell you in the show. But Betty Davis was the main one. Mm -hmm. And um, it deals with... Uh, and actually, there is a described version of the of the real movie Jezebel, and uh, because what they what they do with these Academy Award theaters is, you know, they water them down and they just, you know, they do like a little, I guess, radio play mm -hmm. of movies that have won Academy Awards, right? And um, and they're fun. But um, um, if you get a chance, any of you out there, if you can find or the described version of Jezebel, uh, I think you'll like it a lot better than this. But um, and since it sounds, I, and it sounds like that movie is in the public domain as well, so maybe um, we might be able to actually broadcast it. Um, yeah, we'll try to find out. Yeah, I'll find out. If we can broadcast it, we will. And and show you guys what the difference is between the two. And if the um and if you if any of you guys uh have a subscription with or a plan with uh Cero, it's on their site, the described version is. Cero? Yeah. Uh from Serotech. Oh the Serotech podcast no the, not their podcast but they're the little the program that they have you know where you get your oh the get, screen reader no not system access the program where they have uh entertainment and information and they yeah they have podcasts up there and stuff and and they have uh movies and tv shows and mm -hmm. uh radio stations and old time radio and all that kind of stuff now, do you know if they are in the public domain, or do they do all kinds of different movies and stuff? Uh, the movies that they show, I don't know if they're in the public domain domain or not. I'd be afraid to say, because uh, they'll because <laughs> they'll always say at the beginning of their movies, if you plan to watch this movie with your family please buy it from the original sources or you know yeah 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 so, i mean it, it'd be interesting to know if anyone any one of our listeners can actually comment in the comment section below and let us know if uh Serotech is uh, actually providing public domain 
entertainment, I would really appreciate that. If anything, for the benefit of our other listeners who don't know this information, I will try to find out, and maybe on next week's uh, arts program, I'll be able to let you guys know. You think you will remind me of that? <laughs> if I'm not too stupid. <gasps> My God, I am never going to live this down. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to live this down. <laughs> so Jezebel is our first feature. And yeah. uh, I believe it has a running time of just under half an hour. Yeah, something like that. And yeah. um, But, you know, Betty Davis, she's, she, you know, she has this... She's kind of like the Jezebel in the thing. She's her name is Julie, mm-hmm. and she, um, this guy, he's in love with her, and he chases her all over the place, and you know tries to make her interested, but um, he gives up on her one day, and he leaves town, and he meets this new woman, and he marries her, and mm-hmm. <laughs> and so. Um, and then she's all hurt. You, you know how it goes. And yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so it's kind of a regretful uh, life that Betty Davis leaves. Uh, yeah. Or leads, rather. Yeah. Not leads. Um, so is this more of a romantic drama? Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, that's what it is. It is, right? It is, and I, you know, but I was just saying, if you can get your hands on the movie, it's it's much better because it is it. Yeah, I mean, you know, it lasts like an hour and a half, and these only last like thirty minutes or something like that, so they can't do. So it's majorly watered down. Yeah. 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 It's like reading an abridged book; you miss so much. Oh, I hate abridged books. Uh, You know, it's interesting. A lot of people I've spoken to also do. They but can't people, stand abridgments. Some people, though, who don't really like to read that much, they love abridged books. But to me, I think you're missing too much. You're missing important facts sometimes, yeah. I really do believe that. You're right. We will see you guys at the break. We will come back and introduce our second feature after that. So enjoy Jezebel, ladies and gentlemen. the finest in motion picture entertainment, Academy Awards. 
manufacturing chemist of the medical profession since 1858, brings you Academy Awards. The pictures, the players, the techniques and skills which have won or have been nominated for the coveted awards granted each year by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. To each in his field for outstanding achievement. Squib on the Air brings you only the finest in motion picture art. Squib in your home brings you only the finest medicinal products, pure, effective, reliable. Squib, a name you can trust. Tonight's picture is Jezebel. Tonight's star is the distinguished Warner Brothers player, who has been nominated seven times for awards, has won the prize Oscar twice. Past president of the Academy, Miss Betty Davis. With Miss Davis tonight appears another Academy Award winner, Miss Anne Revere, who won this year's Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress in National Velvet. And now, Miss Betty Davis. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Miss Revere and I feel very honored to be on this first presentation of Academy Award. Those awards that mean so very much to all of us in the motion picture industry. Jezebel was written for radio by Frank Wilson with an original musical score composed and conducted by Lee Stevens and our producer-director is Dee Engelbach. Academy Award, starring Betty Davis in her 1938 award-winning role of Julie Marsden with Anne Revere as Aunt Belle in Jezebel. It seemed like the end of our world as General Bogardus and I stood in the street of New Orleans that dawn of 1851, listening to the depressing sound of the cannon as it was fired to dispel the fever which hung like a plague over the city. It seemed like the end of Julie's world, too. We watched her slowly walk beside poor Preston Dillard as they carried him to the island of the dead. Oh, come, my dear. You, you can't stay in this street. Oh, dawn is breaking. The morning shield is penetrating. And in these dangerous days... Miss Bell, what are you thinking? I'm thinking of a woman called Jezebel who did evil in the sight of God. And yet I wonder. I wonder... You're out of your mind. You know you can't wear a red dress at an Olympus ball. Can't I? This is 1850, Dawson. 1850, not the dark ages. Girls don't have to sit around in white just because they're not married. You didn't tell every woman on the floor. You can't be serious. Never more serious in my life. But think of Preston. That's just what I am thinking of. Mr. Preston Dillon thinks that he can let his own affairs come before me, his future wife. <laughs> That started it, Miss Bell. That damnable red dress. That wasn't Julie's fault. No, if Preston Dillard had only taken my advice the night he came to call. I remember. 
You said... Your generation doesn't understand women, sir. Why, maybe not, General Bogartis. Nowadays, no proper respect for our southern womanhood. Think your father would have allowed the lady of his choice to have come surging to his place of business this morning? Mr. Lee didn't know I was presiding at a meeting, sir. Of course not, Preston. But even if the lady upstairs is my ward, I feel you should know what your father would have done. What would father have done, sir? Your father, sir, would have cut him a hickory, sir. He would have flailed the living daylights out of her. And then helped her put lard on the welts and brought her a diamond brooch. That's what he would have done, sir. And she'd have loved it. Where is Miss Julie? Why, she asked me to please excuse her, Press. Is she ill? Why, no, Press. She's as sound as a nut. You'll pardon me a moment, please. Take all the time you need, my boy. I do believe Mr. Dillard is going up the stairs after Julie. He's taking his walking cane <laughs> Press, open the door. I want to talk to you. Julie, why don't you answer? Look here, Julie. You and I have got to straighten things out. Oh, there's no sense to all this. I'm here because I love you. And because you love me. But there are some things we've got to set straight. Darling, if you just open the door, I'm sure I could. Julie! Open up at once! Who is it? Open this door! Why, Press, banging in a lady's bedroom door. I'm scandalized there. Well, did you come here just to stand there? I see you brought a stick. I'm waiting. When does the chastisement begin? I came up here to... Oh, Julie, how long must we go on like this? Like what, Fred? Fussing like a couple of children. Why do you treat me like a child, then? Oh, Julie, I love you. Spoiled child or not. In a lady's bedroom. Now you'll have to marry me. Oh. Oh, look at me, darling. When I come in, I was going to beat you. Really? Now would you like to see my new dress? That's what I wanted to do all day. Well, let me go, then. There it is. For the Olympus Ball? Yes, it is lovely. But you can't wear red to the Olympus Ball. Why not? Well, you never saw an unmarried girl in anything but white. You know that. It's the custom. It has certain significance. Are you afraid I'll be taken to one of those girls from Galatan Street? Julie. Oh, of course. I'm sorry. I'm not supposed to know about things like Galatan Street. I'm just supposed to simp around in white. So that's it. You're nursing your spite. Well, I'm not going to let you. For once, you're going to do as I say. Julie, I'm calling for you tomorrow night at 10, and you're going to be properly dressed for the ball in white. Good night. Oh, Preston, you forgot to stick. <laughs> She must have been getting scared over wearing that dress after what Press said to her. Yes, but her pride. Confound her fiendish pride. You know that she tried to get Buck Cantrell to take her to the ball without telling Press? Yes, I knew later. Poor drinking jewel and easygoing Buck Cantrell. He loved her, too. Uh, thank heaven he refused her. He was a gentleman and an honorable man. Told you she'd be ready on time. Julie, we're ready to go. Julie, you promised me not to. So you wore it after all. Isn't it obvious? Shall we go, Press? Not until you're properly dressed. Oh, why must everyone be so proper? Why don't you admit, Mr. Diller, that you're afraid? 
afraid someone will insult me, you'll find it necessary to defend you. You leave. You're right, Miss Martin. Yeah. You ready, Aunt Belle? Of course. She can. She can. She will. We are ready, sir. Miss Belle, my arm. And yours, Mr. Bellis? <laughs> Thank you. My, my dear Miss Bell, have you noticed Preston's face? Looks more like his father than ever tonight. And I never saw Tom Dillard look like that without somebody got killed. Theophilus, I'm just plain scared for us. I take your right, my dear. It's a... Well, the ballroom seems a little cool. I think we'll find it much warmer inside. Come. <laughs> Gentlemen, you all have the pleasure of Miss Martin's acquaintance, I think. Gentlemen. Good evening, Miss Martin. <clears throat> Yonder comes my partner. You'll excuse me. Of course, sir. You haven't a partner you have to meet, Cantrell? Why, No. Came along. A pleasant evening, isn't it? Mighty pleasant. Nice and cool. You find it cool in here? I don't find it particularly cool. You, Julie? Why, no. I don't find it particularly cool. Miss Julie doesn't find it so. Perhaps it's something in the atmosphere that's peculiar to you. Why, no, I reckon not. Now you speak of it, it's just about right. It seems so to me. Please, take me out of here. Well, my dear, we haven't danced yet, shall we? No. Oh, yes, we will. Ted, you've got to take me off this floor. I can't. It's my old brother dancing with her. Everyone is leaving the floor. No respectable girl will dance while she's dancing. That dress is an insult. Take me off this instant. Yes, I beg you, take me away from here. I can't endure it. No, we came to dance. We should go on. But we're alone on the floor. How much the better. Oh, please let go of me. If you don't let go of it's me. It's a beautiful ball. Don't you think so, Miss Oh, Martin. take me away from here. Take me away. You're not coming in, Fred? No, ma'am. Good night. Night. Well. Goodbye, Julie. Is that all you've got to say to me? There's nothing more to say. Even if I was wrong? You couldn't be wrong. You're Julie Marsden. I might have been down on my knees. It'd be interesting, but utterly useless. Evidently, you've made up your mind. No, Julie, you've made up my mind. Well, then, goodbye, Fred. Goodbye, Julie. Julie, don't let him go. Go after me. After him. Yes, Julie, quickly. Don't believe you're such a fool. Not so big a fool. He'll come back. Not this time, he won't. Believe me. Wait and see. He'll come back. Yet tonight, I think. If he does say I've retired and tell him I'm sleeping late in the morning. Not to come round till tomorrow afternoon. Julie, 
Before we continue tonight's story of Jezebel, starring Miss Betty Davis and Miss Anne Revere, I would like to tell you about a doctor who lived during the period of this picture. A doctor so devoted to the cause of human health that his zeal still inspires those who carry on his work. His name was Edward R. Squibb. He was appalled by the dangerously inferior quality of drugs then available. He set out to supply the medical profession with drugs that could be relied upon. That's how the company he founded in 1858... The House of Squid first came to be known for medicinal products of purity, reliability, efficacy. And through the years, every member of the great family of Squid products, from penicillin to dental cream, has been the result of painstaking study and research, of an endless quest for perfection. And that is why Squid is a name you can trust. Now for part two of tonight's picture, Jezebel, starring the Academy Award winners, Miss Betty Davis and Miss Anne Revere. Dawn brought heavy mist, the persistent melancholy of the booming fever cannon, chill which sank deep into our souls. She lost it. She lost Preston Dillard through her own downright cussedness in flaunting herself in that red dress at the Olympus Ball. Theophilus, you must understand. She didn't know about Preston. After all, he was away for over a year. All during that time, she hardly went out of the house safe to ride that wild thoroughbred of hers. Yes. Quiet and moody. She wouldn't even have tried to escape the plague here in the city if she hadn't heard that Preston was coming back. If you could have heard what she told me, he had to come to me, Annabelle. He couldn't help himself. You see, he wouldn't know how to fight as hard as I have to keep from going to him. We'll be married. I'm going to beg his forgiveness. I was vicious and mean and selfish, and I, I'm going to tell him I hated myself for being like that. I'll humble myself before him. All that ever stood between us will be gone when he takes me in his arms. Dear, dear child. Perhaps we'd, we'd better go to the plantation now that press is coming. Of course, Annabelle is the place for our meeting. We'd better start packing. We'll give a party, a party to celebrate. And they came, all of them, the old, old friends. Buck Cantrell, Ted Dillard, Press's brother, Dr. Livingston. Everyone came to help him. And Julie was walking on the clouds and dressed herself in a white dress that she was to have worn to the ball with Press. And Press. He came, and when the carriage... When the carriage stopped, my heart stopped, too. For Julie... Aunt Belle. Oh, it's wonderful to be back at Halcyon. I would have come even if I weren't invited. My dear, dear Preston. Aunt Belle, I have a surprise. This is Amy, my wife. His wife, Preston Mary. I tried to get away to warn Julie, but I had to stay with our guest and while I was upstairs, I found him as he was in the library of housing. Oh, 
Don't move, please. Are you remembering the time you wanted me to wear white? Are you? Well, until now, I never have. Cat got your tongue, Press. Julie. Oh, Press, what fools we were. Please, that's over, Julie. Yes, of course. Press, I can't believe it's you here. I've dreamed it so long. A lifetime. No. Longer than that. What, Julie? Oh, no, don't say it yet. I'll put on this white dress for you. To help me tell you how humbly I ask you to forgive me. See, Press. I'm kneeling to you. Julie, don't. I want to, Press. I must make you forgive me and love me as I love you. Julie. Get up. Please. Julie, Julie, this is Amy, my wife. Julie, Julie, where are you? Here, Aunt Bella. I was just about to congratulate Press on his marriage. I'm very happy, Mrs. Bella, to welcome you to Halsey. <laughs> I'm so sorry. For heaven's sake, don't be gentle with me now. Do you think I want to be wept over? I've got to think to plan. Lee, you can't fight marriage. Marriage? That, that little washed-out Yankee. Press is mine. He's always been mine. And I'm going to have him. Press, why did you do it? We'd better join the others. Why? Because... Because I love her. No, you're not such a fool now after you had my love. How much do you remember? Everything you ever said or did. But it's past now. It's finished. I ought to have come to you. I wanted to so terribly. So much that I couldn't. And you felt that way, too. That's what brought you back, Press. You had to come back to the country you know so well. Press, listen. The night noises. The moon through the cypresses. Can you taste the night on your tongue? It's part of you, Press. The mockingbirds and the magnolias. The blue haze on a spring morning when the air is so soft it presses you like a kiss. It's the river rolling forever. The country you were born to. Julie, please don't do this. It's part of you, Press, just as I'm part of you, and we'll never let you go. Press, put your arms around me. This is your country, Press. Amy couldn't understand it. She thinks there'd be snakes. Yes. And she'd be right. You talk about belonging. Amy's put her life and happiness in my hands. And they're going to be safe there. I think we'd better go in now. to win him back. And when she failed, she did the unforgivable thing. She, she set herself willfully to cause trouble. Yes, dear. She seemed possessed that night. I hear Press had to go into the city. Yes, they sent for him. I hope he'll be all right. I had grave reports of conditions there. 
The plague is sweeping on despite all effort to check it. Hey, they posted the government's militia should go all through the parish. No one will be permitted to leave the city or to enter it now. Oh, I'm so worried about press. A pity he had to leave now. But I suppose his bank comes first. Oh, well, press is devoted to the bank. Rather unfortunately so. You don't find it admirable, Miss Martin? Well, it just seems to me that there are other things more interesting. <laughs> I imagine Buck finds it so, too. That's right, Mr. Lee. I never go into a bank if I can help it. Why, Buck? Because it seems to me they're mostly always studying how they can get away something from somebody. Well, I'm sure Buck doesn't mean that the way it sounds. I'm sure Mr. Cantrell is capable of defending his own insinuations. Why, Mr. Stillett, I didn't mean to offend. I was just talking. Of course. Amy, he doesn't realize what he's saying. Doesn't even realize how Julie is using it. Why, Buck, am I using you? I'd be right happy if you'd explain that remark, sir. I'll explain it. You're fool enough to defend what you don't even understand. That Julie's been egging you on. First against press and now against his wife. Well, that's pretty talk, isn't it, Buck? Yes, Miss Julie. That's very impolite talk, very. Let's put it this way, Mr. Cantrell. All evening I thought you coarse and not a gentleman. Why, you insolent. At your service, sir. Why, Ted, you, you can't do this. I'm afraid, Mrs. Dillard, you don't understand our southern customs. <laughs> Gentlemen, will you please take your places? Remember, gentlemen, you turn and fire at the count of ten. Are you ready? Ready. Ready. Very well. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Come on, Amy. We're getting out of here. We're all going. How do you propose to get to the guards? And there's yellow fever in the city. Surely my hospitality is better than the plague. We'll get through. Good night, ma'am. I shall never speak to her again, even though she return one day from the dead. When she heard that he was stricken, she had to come to him, don't you understand? She went through the swamp, past the guards, risked her life to get to him. His wife was at his side. She belonged there. Julie belonged there, too. Amy understands that now. She stole him away from Amy as he lay dying. Theophilus, you must not judge. Believe me, Mrs. Dillard, it's unthinkable that you go with him there. Armed guards are coming to take him to the leper island. It's the law. All who catch the fever must go. When they come for him, I'm going with him. No, you can't go, Amy. It is your right to go. You're his wife, but are you fit to go? Loving him isn't enough. If you gave him all your strength, would it be enough? I'll make him live. I'll die with him. Amy, do you know the Creole word for fever powder, for food, for water? Can you talk to a sullen, overworked black boy and make him fear you and help you? Press life and yours will hang on words you can't say and you'll both surely die. I must go with him. Listen, Amy, they're coming. Coming for him. Oh, Amy, it isn't a question of proving your love by laying down your life for Press. Nothing so easy. Have you the knowledge and the strength to fight for his life and your own? Amy, it's no longer you or I. What do you mean? I'll make him live. I will. 
You see, I know how to fight better than you. I'll fight to the death itself. Where is he? Upstairs. Amy, you're the bravest woman I ever saw. I believe you even have the courage to save him by giving me the right to go in your place. Oh, you're not afraid to die, I know that. I boldly ask the greater sacrifice in Press's name, his life. You love him even more than I believe within your power. Oh, let me prove myself worthy of the love I bear him. Julie, tell me. Something which only you can tell me. Does Press still love you? He himself might know. But you would. Tell me. Amy, what does it matter who Press loves? It's his life that matters. Tell me. We both know Press loves his wife. Whom else could Press love? Not me, surely. I've done so much against him. Had there been any love in his heart for me, I'd have taken him away from you. I tried and failed. Because he loves only you. I'm grateful for you telling me. In your own way. What I had to know. Take care of them, Julie. I believe you've earned whatever right is mine. God protect you and Chris. Go with him. Amy. Thank you. All right, let's get started. We've got to get him to the island. Press. Press, I'm here. I'll always be here, Press. Press, darling. I'm here. Come, Miss Bell. They've gone. And there's no turning back. Come, you. Cannot stay here in the street. Miss Bell, what are you thinking? I'm thinking of a woman called Jezebel, who did evil in the sight of God. Ladies and gentlemen, on this first presentation of Academy Award, to introduce a distinguished artist, known and loved by you on the air as Dr. Christian, President of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences, Mr. Gene Herschel. Good evening. Miss Davis and Miss Revere, your performances were superb. Also, thank you, Miss Revere, for so brilliantly playing the role of Aunt Bell in place of Miss Faye Painter, who is ill. And to you, Miss Painter, our best wishes for a speedy recovery. The Academy appreciates the significance of this series of broadcasts. We are grateful to E.R. Squibb and Sons for their vision and support in sponsoring these programs. The Academy is dedicated to lifting the standards of motion pictures even higher. It values this platform of expression and views with deep satisfaction the determination to make this radio program through a broad variety of great weekly broadcasts, an institution in the life of America. Next week, another great picture. The House of Squibb will present Academy Awards starring the beautiful and talented Miss Ginger Rogers in her Oscar-winning performance of Kitty Foyle. Next week, it is Academy Awards starring Ginger Rogers in Kitty Foyle. Miss Betty Davis will soon be seen in A Stolen Life, produced by Warner Brothers, 
also producers of Devotion. Miss Anne Revere will soon be seen in the 20th Century Fox production, Dragonwick. This is Hugh Brundage bidding you good night until next week at the same time when the House of Squid invites you to join us for Academy Awards. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Okay, y'all, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed doing it. Um, that was one of my favorite movies, and uh, it's not a bad little play, considering that, you know, that's what they do, is they make these little shortcuts out of movies that have won Academy Awards. And um, But this next feature comes from um, the thriller CBS Radio Mystery Theater. And I took it from um, the year 1974. In fact, CBS Radio Mystery Theater, it ran from 1974 to 82, I believe, was when they did the last ones. And what they were doing is they were trying to get people interested in old-time radio again, but it didn't take like they hoped it would. But... I know I used to listen to CBS Radio Mystery Theater every night and uh, a bunch of us girls in the dorm would get together and do it and I mean listen to it and it was so much fun but this one stars Agnes Moorhead and you know I just love anything that she does and she had a long career I'm not sure if she's still alive or not I need to check into that Um, but anyway um, And another thing you may not know was that on the show Bewitched, she played Andorra, Samantha's mother. And I didn't know that for a long time, but that's who she was. And um, so anyway, so sit back and relax and enjoy The Old Ones Are Hard to Kill. But this is one of my favorites, so y'all enjoy. Radio Mystery Theater presents Come in. Welcome. I'm E.G. Marshall. Welcome to the Sound of Suspense. Welcome to the fear you can hear, but mostly to the world of terrifying imagination. In the story you're about to hear, the heroine is a young woman of 77 
who has reached her golden years with her sense of independence intact, with a spryness to her limbs, very good vision, and excellent hearing. But as you are about to learn, there are times when hearing well is not a blessing. I did it to Mrs. Canby. Are you listening to me? I killed Richardson. Oh. I did it. Me. No, no, no. I don't want to hear it, Mr. Paulson. Please, please don't tell me about it. Please. Our mystery drama, The Old Ones Are Hard to Kill, was written especially for the Mystery Theater by Henry Slesser and stars Agnes Moorhead. It is sponsored in part by Anheuser-Busch Incorporated, Brewers of Budweiser, and by the Kellogg Company, makers of Kellogg's Special K cereal. I'll return shortly with Act One. When you say but, you've said a lot of things nobody else can say. When you say but, you've gone as far as you can go to get the very best. Why do some people think Bud is sort of special? Go ahead and find out why. Brewing beer right does make a difference. a blood pressure reading, an electrocardiogram, and an altogether satisfying report on the health of Mrs. Ada Canby. Hmm. Well, can't see a thing to complain about, Ada. That little congestion you had last time is all cleared up. All in all, I'd say you're doing fine. For a woman my age, you mean. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> the older the chicken, the tougher it is to kill. <laughs> That's what my grandmother used to tell me. She lived to be 98. Uh, speaking of relatives, you uh, see much of Walter. My grandson? Oh, the usual once-a-year visit. And he always comes up with the same complaint. What's that? 
Better shouldn't be living all alone. Oh, that big house of yours must get pretty lonely sometimes. Well, the truth is, Dr. George, I'm not alone there. You're not? I decided to take in the border last month. Really? I haven't written Walter about it. Uh, I'm sure he'd object to my taking in a stranger, but there's really nothing wrong with Mr. Paulson, except his health, maybe. His health? What's wrong with him? Oh, the poor man's had a terrible cold for the past two weeks. Won't let me do a thing for him, though. Well, now, where did you meet this, Mr. Paulson? Well, he answered the ad I ran. He's just back from South America. Been living in Brazil for years. He's a very nice gentleman, really. He keeps himself and tends his birds. He has the loveliest blue parakeets. You can hear them chirping all over the house. Oh, it's the friendliest sound. Well, I, uh, I don't see anything wrong with what you're doing, either. Just make sure you don't go and catch the man's cold. Well, there's not much chance of that. Poor man hardly ever leaves his room. Well, how much do I owe you? I'll send you the bill. I'm sure you'll forget all about it. <laughs> Promise me you'll send it. Oh, dear God. 
to those poor little birdies. I suppose they miss poor Mr. Paulson. I'll leave them in his room. Well, let's see about this letter now. Dear Walter, I hope you don't mind my turning to you for advice, but I really don't know what to do. It's been three days since my boarder, Mr. Paulson, passed away, and I still haven't told the police what the man said to me. I just can't bring myself to get mixed up in anything like this. Dear, what's the use of writing, Walter? You'll probably think I've dreamed it all up. No, I'll just forget it. Only how do you forget such a thing? Those names, I keep hearing them. Richardson, Lindell. Lindell is innocent. Oh, dear God, what if it's all true? If Mr. Paulson actually murdered this Richardson and Lindell is innocent, only, well, who are they? I wonder if a telephone book, well, well why not? Let's see. Richardson, Richard, oh, I see H-A-R. Yes, here it is. Oh, Lord, there's dozens of them. Well, I'll try Lindell. That wouldn't be as common, I don't suppose. Yes, yes, here it is. There's only about half a dozen. And D-L-D-E-L-L-L. Oh, my heavens, Lindell and Richardson. Both names together, Lindell and Richardson Investments. Nine concourse four one five three one three two. I wonder if well maybe maybe it's the only way to be sure. Mr. Richardson, uh, about when he died. I think I did business with him once, uh, a long time ago. Well, it's ten years, madam, just about. But uh, if you're interested in investment advice... Well, I'll think about it. Thank you very much. Ten years. Well, it could be a coincidence. I guess it all depends on how he died. <laughs> Have a seat. Thank you. Well, now, how can we be of help to you? I didn't come here to get help, Mr. Shelton. I came to help you, as a matter of fact. Or, rather, somebody you know. Who would that be? Uh, Mr. John Lindell, the man who was supposed to have murdered Mr. Richardson. I'm afraid I'm not following you. Well, it took me all week to find out what happened to those two men, and finally I found the story in the old newspaper room down at the library about Mr. Lindell being indicted for killing his partner. But I'm, I'm sure you know the whole story a lot better than I do. Well, of course I know the story, but <laughs> that was quite a long time ago, Mrs. Canby. Ten years doesn't seem so long when you're my age. 
Anyway, the point is that I can help your Mr. Lindell, only I can't do it alone. Did you know John Lindell? No, no, I didn't. Nor Mr. Richardson, for that matter. The man I knew was named Paulson. Who? I rented a room to Mr. Paulson, and he died about eight days ago of pneumonia. I was there when it happened. Well, that's unfortunate, but... Uh... Before he died, Mr. Paulson told me something about Mr. Richardson's murder. He said Mr. Lindell hadn't been responsible, that he, Mr. Paulson, had committed it for money. <sighs> Mrs. Canby, listen to me. It was this man Lindell that bothered him. The fact that he was in prison for something he didn't do. I thought I should tell you this, Mr. Chelton, because you knew both of these gentlemen. It said so in the newspaper. Mrs. Canby, my, my dear woman. I don't know what silly story you heard, but it's completely wrong. There wasn't any question about what happened. This border of yours, whatever his name is, merely had an obsession. Well, just the same, I thought you could follow through on this business. Yeah. Tell the police, because if it is true, Mr. Lindell should be freed. On evidence like that? I don't know anything about evidence. I'm just telling you what I heard. Oh, well, never mind. I suppose I should have told the police myself. Wait, wait, Mrs. Canby. Uh, let me put your mind at rest. John Lindell is no longer in prison. Yes, sir? He's dead, Mrs. Canby. He's been dead for the last three years. Oh. He wasn't a young man when all this happened. When he accused his partner, Fred Richardson, of defrauding him and shot him dead. He died? In prison? Even if all you say is true, that this man was Richardson's murderer, you can't help John Lindell any longer. He's beyond that. But his name, don't you want to clear his name? Have you any proof? Any living witness? Just myself. But you'd be willing to involve yourself? Start a whole new investigation? Open up the whole dreadful mess again? Mrs. Canby, do you know that John Lindell had a daughter? No. But wouldn't that be all the more reason to do something? His daughter's married, living in Minneapolis. A husband and three children. People have forgotten about her father by now. Would you want that poor woman to see his name dragged through the newspapers a second time? But if her father was innocent... Forget it, Mrs. Canby. That's my advice to you. The old wound is healed. Don't reopen it. Oh, well, it troubles me so. I haven't thought of anything else since it happened. Perhaps if I saw a minister, if I had some advice from a man of God, maybe... Mrs. Canby, now you've said something. Now you've shown me the way. That's where our answer lies, dear woman, in prayer. Mm -hmm. In the forgiveness of our dear Lord. Will you pray with me, Miss Canby? Pray? Here? Why not? God is everywhere. Please, join me. <sighs> dear Lord, tell us what to do. Give us your divine guidance. Show us the path to righteousness. Mr. Stelton, I... Help us, O oh Lord. Help us to understand. Teach us to forgive the sins of others and to forget them. To forget. <laughs> I feel much better now, Mrs. Canby. Do you? Well, I'm not sure. Let us turn this matter over to God, Mrs. Canby. Not to the police, but to the Lord. 
It's in his hands now. Don't you agree? Well, in a way, that's true. Since they're dead now, all of them... Yes? Uh, Mrs. Candy? Yes? My name's Stuart Winfield, Mrs. Candy. I understand you have a room for rent? Yes, 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 I do. Well, I'm new in town. I just arrived from Philadelphia. I've been staying at a hotel, but I'd like something homier. Well, the room I have is $35 a week. I can't offer you any meals, but you can use the kitchen all you want. Well, that sounds good to me. Would, uh, would you like to see the room? Yes, ma'am, I sure would. Well, huh? come on in, ma'am. Thank you. By the way, how did you know I had a room for rent? Hmm? I was going to place an ad this weekend. Oh, I, uh, I, I guess someone at the hotel mentioned it. I, I forget just who. Say, this is a real fine old house, Mrs. Candy. Mm-hmm. I can see that I'm going to like this place. Just fine. <laughs> And so Mrs. Canby has a new boarder. He's a very personable young man with a great deal more charm than old Mr. Paulson had. Perhaps in a little while, Mrs. Canby will be able to forget her former boarder and the shocking confession he made on his deathbed. I'll be back shortly with Act Two. And now another tale of the ball and chain. Presents overweight on an overnight train. Is this seat taken? Please, sit down. You have exceptional legs. Uh, But why is one of them attached to a ball and chain? This ball and chain? It's a symbol. Funny, I would have sworn it was a ball and chain. I mean symbolic. Because carrying around a few extra pounds can be just like lugging around this ball and chain. I see. May I suggest something? Uh Try a bowl of Special K skim milk, orange juice, and coffee. It's the Special K breakfast. Will it make me lose weight? No. You must also exercise and eat smart at every meal. I see. Do you know the Special K breakfast is less than 240 calories, 99% fat-free, and delicious? No, but if you hum a few bars... And that's another tale of the ball and chain. Your happy ending could begin with the Kellogg's Special K breakfast. That's Kellogg's Special K. Good night. Take the time to listen. just died. I'm so happy for you. Meet Mrs. McNulty. How do you do? Did you know you had spinach on your teeth? Oh, that's wonderful. This is Mr. Jackson. Nice to meet you. I have bubonic plague. Oh, yes, Mr. Plague. Meet Miss Reception lines aren't the only places people don't listen. Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons. Stu Winfield took no time at all to make himself at home in Ada Canby's big old house. 
He loved everything about his room. The fine old four-poster bed. The crazy quilt that Ada herself had sewn up 40 years ago. The lace curtains on the window. He even loved Mr. Paulson's blue parakeets. But what he really seemed to like best was Mrs. Canby herself. Just taking two minutes to get these clean sheets on the bed. Here, let me give you a hand. No, 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 I can manage. I've been making this bed for almost 50 years. 50? You've lived in this house that long? Moved in here when I got married back in 1919. My husband David bought it for us. Our only son, Ralph, was born in it. And you've lost them both? Yes, they're both dead, but I haven't lost them. Oh, yes, yes, I understand, Mrs. Canby. I guess I feel that way about my mom. Your mother's dead? Yes, she died when I was two. Well, listen, Mr. Winfield, are you sure you want these birds in your room? Hmm? I could take them to the parlor if you want. No, no, I think they're great. I, I think everything's great about this house. But there is something you can do for me. What's that? Would you mind not calling me Mr. Winfield? Oh? Uh, that's what they call my father. My name's Stuart. Well, well, all right. Stuart. <laughs> Dear Walter, I think it's about time I told you that I have a boarder in my house. Mr. Winfield is the nicest young man you could want to meet. He's a great deal friendlier than my first gentleman, Mr. Paulson. And he seems to like nothing better than to sit around evenings and talk. We talk about his home and his parents and his plans for the future. I think the poor boy misses his home and family, and I'm sort of a substitute for all that. Hmm. You know, it isn't really fair, Mrs. Canby. You said I had kitchen privileges, but that doesn't mean you have to cook for me. Well, it's a pleasure, Stuart. I haven't had anyone to cook for in years. You're kidding. You mean to say you cook this good without practice? Oh, you're just being nice. I'm sure that stew is just plain ordinary. It's terrific. No kidding. It, it tastes like, well, it, it tastes like home, if you know what I mean. <laughs> it depends on whose home you mean. <laughs> well, my mom cooks stews like this. That's what I meant. Your mom? Mm. Well, but she died when you were only two. Oh, well, I, I guess I, I didn't mean my mom exactly. I, I was thinking of my Aunt Martha. Uh. I mean, she's the one who sort of took over the cooking and stuff after my mother died. And my father's sister, you know? I see. Well, that was lucky that you had someone to take her place. Yeah, that's right. It's... Excuse me. My, Stuart, yeah. you're not coming down with anything, are you? <laughs> no, no, I'm fine. Just a little case of the sniffles. Listen, if your room isn't warm enough, I have an extra book. No, no, the room's just fine. Don't worry about it. Well, you'll be sure now. I know I felt a little guilty about poor Mr. Paulson when he got sick. Uh, maybe I didn't take good enough care of him. Uh, Paulson? Mm-hmm. Was that your former boarder, the, uh, the bird lover? Yes, yes, that was his name, the poor man. Well, tell me about him. Well, I don't really know that much about him. He lived here less than two months. What sort of a guy was he? Well, very quiet. He kept to himself. Did you say he was from South America? I don't remember if I did or not. Well, you must have said it. Yeah, yes, of course. He was American, but he'd been living in Brazil. I don't know why exactly. Although, come to think of it, maybe I do. What do you mean? Well, it, it just occurred to me that Brazil might be just the place for someone who came into a lot of money. 
and, and wanted to leave the country. I don't understand. Oh, my. I really think you are getting a cold, Stuart. I'm getting that blanket out this minute. Now, wait, Mrs. Candy. I'd rather hear well, about... Never mind. I don't want to take any chances. I'll be right back. Yes, Mrs. Candy. Don't take any chances. Yes, come in. I brought your tray, Stuart. Oh, no, you shouldn't have. <laughs> you shouldn't have gone to all that trouble, Mrs. Candy. Wasn't the least bit of trouble. Besides, you've got to have some supper. Feed a cold and starve a fever. That's what you're I saying. mean, I was going to come out to the kitchen and and get myself a sandwich or something. You didn't have to bring it to me. Oh, look at that. Is that roast chicken? Well, that's what it's supposed to be. <laughs> I hope it tastes all right. And noodle soup with dumplings. Mrs. Candy, you're spoiling me rotten. Do you know that? Yeah, I just thought it would be a good idea if you stayed in bed and took it easy. You weren't planning to go out tonight, were you? No, no, I was just going to stay in and read for a while. <coughs> Maybe watch television. Oh, that's good. Here, I'll just set this tray down. <laughs> oh, the service here is just too good. Oh, we we never uh, never finished our talk the other day about that border of yours, uh, Mr. Paulson. Well, there's not much to say about him, really. Well, you said something about his living in South America. <laughs> you said you thought you understood why he was living there. Sounded real interesting. Well, the truth is, Stuart, there is something to tell about Mr. Paulson. Maybe maybe you can help me feel better about it all. About what? Now, I'm not going to tell you if you don't eat. <laughs> all right, Mrs. Canby, I'll eat. Well, it happened just about three weeks ago. <laughs> you know something, Mrs. Canby? That's about the best roast chicken I've had in years. I'm sure I spoiled your appetite with all my chatter. <laughs> no, no, that was a really interesting story. But what do you think of it all, Stuart? Hmm? Do you think I did the right thing? Well, frankly, Mrs. Canby, I do. Honestly? Well, this guy Chelton sounds a little screwy, but <clears throat> I think he's all right. I mean, from a practical standpoint. Then you agree with him? Sure. This man Richardson's dead, right? And... What's his name, Lindell? Yes. Well, he's dead too, right? And poor Mr. Paulson, the man who supposedly killed Richardson. Well, there you are. <laughs> Nothing you can do will bring any of them back, right? Well, yes, but just the same. And you know the police, Mrs. Candy. They'll be hounding you forever. <laughs> Tracking mud into your parlor, bothering you with questions. No, Mrs. Candy, you're too nice a person to put up with that kind of thing. You mean too old a person? I just think Mr. Chelton was right. Let sleeping dogs lie. Yes, that's what I keep telling myself, but you know something? What? There's one thing Mr. Chelton forgot. And me too, I suppose. What's that? Why, the real murderer. He may still be alive, even if all the others are gone. Don't you see? No, I... I don't. Even if Mr. Lindell can't be helped anymore, that doesn't mean the real murderer should get away. But the real murderer is dead. Paulson. No, the killer is the man who hired Mr. Paulson. Don't you see? Is it right that he should get away with it? Now, wait a minute. <laughs> You're jumping to conclusions. No, I'm not. 
Wilson told me that he was hired to do this thing. Well, maybe he was hired by Lindell. Maybe Lindell hired him, and then Paulson got cold feet, and Lindell did the shooting himself. No, I'm sure that isn't true. You see, I read the newspaper article all about it. Well, you, you really were thorough about this, weren't you, Mrs. Candy? <laughs> you poor man. That cold's gone to your chest now, hasn't it? No, I'm all, I'm all right. Stop stop worrying about me. Let's talk about this, this other problem of yours. Well, maybe I'm making it more of a problem than it should be. Maybe if I just told the police everything, I could forget once and for all. No, I... Uh... I really couldn't advise that, Mrs. Candy. Well, it said in the newspaper story that the two men were partners in that investment firm. And Mr. Lindell thought that his partner, Richardson, was cheating, taking money out of the firm. And that's why he's supposed to have shot him. Wasn't there a witness to the shooting? Why, yes, I think there was. Come to think of it, it was Mr. Shelton. That's right, that's right. Well, doesn't that, doesn't that wrap it up for you? Well, it would if it wasn't for Mr. Paulson. Listen, Mrs. Canby, you know how much I like you. Well, in just a few days, you're more like family to me than my Aunt Martha ever was. Well, it's nice of you to say, Stuart. And that's why I want you to listen to me about this. That's why I want you to forget about this whole foolish thing. <laughs> Listen to me. You sound awful, Stuart. It's terrible. No, man. I'm all right. No, you're not all right. I'm going to get you some cough medicine right this minute. Stick around for a few more days, Mr. Chelton. The old lady's beginning to get fidgety, if, if you know what I mean. <laughs> Something tells me that Stuart Winfield isn't such a nice young man after all. Could it be that he wasn't telling Mrs. Canby the truth about his dear mother and his Aunt Martha? Could he have not told her the truth about his plans for the future? Of course, the real issue is, what sort of plan does he have for Ada Canby's future? I'll be back shortly with Act Three. I'm High Brown, and as producer of Radio Mystery Theater... Welcome to the premiere of an exciting venture in modern radio. The return of spine-tingling suspense and mystery seven times a week with fine actors and actresses and one other star player. Your imagination. We'd like to hear whether you're glad radio drama is back. So we're holding a weekly drawing for three weeks with 50 prizes a week. Two AM-FM stereophonos, two travel clock radios, and 46 anthologies of modern suspense. All you do is send us your name and address to Mystery Theater, Box 50, Radio City Station, New York 119. Box 50, Radio City Station, New York 119. Offer good everywhere unless locally prohibited. Our drama continues in one minute. 
knows how to help you solve your shopping problems. Your Better Business Bureau knows. But they advertised this chair for $50, and now they won't sell it to me. They're even trying to get me to buy one for $100. Isn't there anyone who can tell me what to do? I can, madam. But who are you? I am the man from the Better Business Bureau. And when someone advertises an item and then won't sell it to you when you come into the store that tries to get you to purchase something at a higher price, you may be the victim of a scheme known as bait-and-switch. Don't fall for it. In most places, it's illegal. Oh, sir, how can I ever thank you? No need to thank me, madam. That's what better business bureaus are for, to help consumers get a fair deal. Mrs. Canby. She isn't sleeping well tonight. But of course, Mrs. Canby has good reasons for insomnia. Her thoughts are whirling. But Border Stewart was right. She doesn't want the bother of going to the police. And she firmly believes in the old adage, if you don't trouble trouble, trouble won't trouble you. But still... Oh, my... I'm just never going to get to sleep tonight. Poor Stuart. He's still coughing. I'm sure that room is just too drafty. We never should have let any boarders in until I got the windows fixed. Oh, dear. That poor boy. I'll never forget the terrible night Mr. Paulson was coughing so badly. Huh? And the way he looked, all gray and shrunken. If only I knew he was so sick. No. If only he'd never even come to this house. Mrs. Canby, I killed Richardson. I did it. No, I ever forget the sound of that man's voice. Mendel is innocent. Mendel is innocent. That poor man. All the years he spent in jail for something he didn't do. Let's Let us turn this matter over to God, Mrs. Gary, not to the police, not to the police, not to the police. What a strange man he is, Mr. Chum, where he talked about God, praying at his desk. Of course, God is everywhere, but his desk. I killed Richardson. I murdered him for money. Someone had to pay him. Mr. Paulson wasn't the only guilty one. Someone else was, too. Just something that never happened. 
worse than ever. I guess that medicine wasn't very good. Sorry I kept you awake, Mrs. Candy. No, that wasn't your fault. No. Something else kept me up. What was that? Oh, my mind, I guess. Maybe I should say my conscience. Well, that sounds serious. <laughs> it is something serious, Stuart. Well, I might have let a man get away with murder. No, it's even worse than that. He did something worse than murder. You're talking about Paulson again? <laughs> no, I'm talking about the man who hired Mr. Paulson. He didn't just have that man Richardson shot. He let an innocent person go to jail and die there. Now, that's like committing two murders, if you ask me. I have to tell you something that occurred to me last night. Sure, go ahead. Well, it's about... Mr. Chelton. Mr. Arnold Chelton. Yeah? Go on. Uh, I wonder if maybe the reason Mr. Chelton was so upset with me, the reason he didn't want me to go to the police, was because he was afraid. Explain what you mean. Well, what I mean is maybe Mr. Chelton had good reason, besides the one he told me. He was working for both Mr. Richardson and Mr. Lundell at the time of the murder. Well, so what? Well, he was also the chief witness at the trial, a witness for the prosecution. But he saw the shooting, didn't he? But that's just the point. He saw Mr. Lundell shoot Mr. Richardson. Well, that's not what you told me last time. I mean, that he was an eyewitness. Oh, that's right. He didn't actually see the shooting. He was miles away when it happened. I don't quite remember the details. Is there was something about a phone call, maybe? Yes. Yes, that's what it was. He claimed that Mr. Richardson was talking to him on the phone when Mr. Lindell showed up at his apartment. He said that Richardson cried out something about Lindell having a gun. And then he heard the shot. But how could that have happened if the gun was fired by Mr. Paulson? If, Mrs. Canby, that's the big little word, isn't it? If. <laughs> so don't you see what I'm saying, Stuart? Arnold Shelton had the most to gain. Gain? From what? From both these men leaving the firm. That'll leave the whole thing to him. All those customers, all the investments he handled, all the commissions, or whatever they call it. Are you accusing this guy Shelton of being the killer? Yes. It's it's the only answer, Stuart. Well, look, if that was the case, the, <coughs> the police would have figured it out. But they didn't. There was nothing in the stories I read that pointed any suspicion at Mr. Shelton. I don't suppose it even occurred to them. And now... The company is all his. Well, you don't, you don't call that evidence, do you? <laughs> well, then why didn't he let me go to the police? 
Why did she try so hard to talk me out of it? That man was praying to it. He was taking the name of the Lord in <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry, Stuart. I'm so sorry. I won't bother you anymore. I know what I have to do anyway. Mrs. Candy. I won't wait. be gone long, Stuart. No, no, wait. But the minute I get back, I'm going to call Dr. George and ask him to come over. You're sick. Never mind You're... the doctor. Are you calling the police? No, no, I won't call them. You're right. I don't want them tracking mud in Moon Parlor. I'm going down to the station house and talk to them. I'll get dressed now and go straight there. Please, please think about what you're doing. I'll tell them what I know and they can do the rest. Now, you try to eat something, Stuart. Please. Mrs. Candy. Sheldon. Uh, <coughs> 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 what is this, Winfield? I told you not to call me at the office. It's an emergency. <coughs> you sound terrible. What's the matter with you? I'm sick. Only you're going to be a lot sicker. What are you talking about? The old lady. I can't stop her. She's decided to talk. What? She figured it out. Figured out exactly what you did, Sheldon, and how you did it. You fool. Huh? You've got to stop her. Do you hear me? That wasn't part of the deal, Sheldon. It's all of the deal now. The price didn't include anything like that. The price just doubled. <laughs> old ladies are always having accidents. Make her have one. Make her have one now, Winfield. Yeah. All right. All right. She's going she's gonna to have a fall down there in the cellar steps. Right now. i got to get my robe on. My slippers. I've got to hurry. Is that you? Open up, Mrs. Candy. For heaven's sake. <coughs> Stuart Winfield, what are you doing out of bed? Now, you go right back there this second. I gotta, I gotta talk to you, Mrs. Candy, before you go to the police. Just listen to you. You're all winded. You can hardly talk, Stuart. Now, go back to bed before you catch pneumonia, too. Now, don't go, Mrs. Candy. It would be better if you never went to the police. Better for you. Better for me. For you? I don't understand. Well, then I... I wouldn't have to hurt you, Mrs. Candy. <laughs> That's what I mean. I wouldn't have to do anything bad to you. Stuart, what in the world are you talking about? Come on, old lady. You're, not... You're smart, all right. You really think things through. So now, think a little harder. You knew? <laughs> Stuart, you knew about Mr. Bolton. That's right. That's how you knew my room was correct, because Mr. Shelton told you. Now you're getting there, Mrs. Candy. And that's why you rented it. That's why you were sent here. Just to watch you, Mrs. Candy. Just to see oh, that you yes. stayed sensible. Mrs. Mr. Shelton did. I was hoping you'd never change your mind about calling the police. I didn't want this part of it. This isn't the part I like. No, 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 Just relax, Mrs. Candy. Just take it easy. Please, please. You're as light as a feather, Mrs. Candy. Just like my Aunt Martha would have been if I if I had an Aunt Martha. Please, let me go. Please. We've got a date now, Mrs. Candy. Let me go. Stop. 
But I've got a fight, Mrs. Gabriel. I'm sick, remember? Shut, shut your eyes. Please, shut your eyes and don't look down. Oh, Stuart, no Shut your eyes, old They'll all be over Uh, it's all right now, Ada. Just be glad that wasn't you at the bottom of those stairs. Well, will he be all right, Doctor George? Now, what do you want to worry about that man for? Truth is, his injuries don't amount to very much. A couple of broken ribs seem to be the worst of it. But he'll be a patient for some time before they can put him in prison where he belongs. Him and his uh, friend. What was that man's name again? You mean Mr. Chelham? Have they arrested him? Yeah, yeah. That's what the police detective said. I don't understand. Stewart's injuries aren't serious. It's not the fall that made Winfield so sick. His case was diagnosed as simple pneumonia at first. And then I remembered about your first border. Nelson, was it? Nelson. Yes, Nelson. But he had pneumonia, too. He died of it. Oh, is, is pneumonia contagious? Yes, yes, it is. But this disease was even more contagious. It's a pneumonia caused by a disease called psittacosis, better known as parrot fever. Uh-huh. You get it from sick birds, like the parakeets in your spare room. Oh, no. Mr. Paulson's bird. Sorry, Ada, but... They had to be taken out and destroyed. Oh, what a shame. Hey, there's one reason I, I feel sorry for them. They saved your life. Made Mr. Winfield too weak even to throw a little old lady down a flight of steps. Uh, those poor little creatures. Yeah, but you can be grateful they didn't make you sick, too. Mm. Parrot fever is so contagious that... No more than one person in a thousand could be exposed to it and escape infection. It was pretty darn close to a miracle, Ada. They're hard to kill, Doctor. Remember? The old ones are hard to kill. They say that people are living longer than ever before. And when we look at Ada Canby, we can understand why. She's a tough old lady. So tough she could withstand the threats of man, beasts, and bird. So let that be a warning to all those who think that our senior citizens are easy prey for crime. Watch out. They may turn the tables on you. Or the stairs. I'll be back shortly. This is Phyllis Diller. Playing comedy and being funny is my life. <laughs> Now, when you hear my voice, you expect a joke and a laugh. But my kind of laughs and jokes are no help at all to a very special kind of people. Mentally retarded children. You can help by being someone who cares. Someone who will help. With help, with proper training, to stimulate his mind, and with love and patience, every single mentally retarded child can gain a better understanding of his world. But this takes a lot of work and so much time. It's a big job. 
won't you help the people who are trying to get the job done? Your local association of the National Association for Retarded Children. Call us. have one final comment for you on behalf of Ada Canby and old people everywhere. There's a saying, there's no fool like an old fool, but it's also true that there's no wisdom and strength like old wisdom and strength. There. Does that make you feel better about your next birthday? Our cast included Agnes Moorhead, Leon Janney, and Roger DeCoven. The entire production was under the direction of Hyman Brown. Now, a preview of our next tale. You spoil me shamefully. <laughs> and that night, I spoiled her just a bit more by bringing hot cocoa to her in bed. I don't drink it down now. Does it taste all right? Oh, Tastes just fine. Now that was very good news. Because I prepared the hot cocoa myself. And I had no idea whether 25 melted sleeping pills would seriously affect the flavor. This is E.G. Marshall inviting you to return to our mystery theater for another adventure in the macabre. Until next time, pleasant dreams. everybody that was a terrific show and i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did i loved anything agnes moorhead played in whether it was in tv or radio um and i don't know if in this particular show i don't know if she was really as old as she sounded in that show you know she sounded like a real old woman so i don't know if mm -hmm. that was part of her acting or if she was really getting old enough to sound like that but well um, it's it's interesting i mean i i always thought she was overacting on bewitched i always felt that way whenever she was in the scene you did yeah i don't know why i i just always thought that she overacted her her roles she tried well she you know she didn't like darewood as she called him and, yeah. and, and it's like her accent was supposed to be like someone from overseas or something but i yeah. don't think i don't think she did that well I, no i don't think but, she did either no. 
but all the things that she did to poor Darren, I thought she did a great job <laughs> doing them. Well, you knew that there were two Darrens in that show. Uh, yeah, and yeah. I actually liked the second one better. Yeah, I think they were both named York, weren't they? Uh, no, one of them was York. I think the other one was something else. But anyway, for next week's show, I think I'm going to throw in some science fiction. I don't know what else I might throw in yet, but um, you'll have a perfectly good Sunday. Oh, and in the comments section, I wish you guys would um, just write us a little note and tell us what your favorite Sunday is, what you like in a Sunday. And also, um, be sure and tell me uh, what shows you might like to hear, uh, and, and I'll be glad to try to fetch them for you. And, and broadcast. Yeah, and um, and let us know how we're doing. I mean, give us some feedback yeah. about the show. If you enjoy it, if you don't, if you want us to tank it, or if you don't. Um, I actually love this show. It gives us an opportunity to talk to you normally. <laughs> yeah, and uh, then and I well, I had a few compliments from some of my Facebook friends. Mm -hmm. on it um and i had some compliments on snap too but um that's another thing <laughs> but yeah. uh, um but anyway um come back and join us next week if you want to um if you want to give me feedback by email um just send it to um Whose blind life is it anyway at gmail.com and uh, Victor will get it to me. Yes. Anything that comes through for the hosts of the shows, I forward on to If you them. want to follow me on Twitter, uh, I'm Moni60. That's M O N N I 60. Uh, on, on Facebook, you'll find me uh, as. Um, just Monica Jones. Uh, mm -hmm. Don't get confused by my old account. That was Monica Rose. And so, um, but if you want to follow me on Facebook, that's that's who I am. But and if you want to follow the channel uh, on Twitter, we are at Blind Who's. That's B L I N D W H O S E. Well, you're not stupid, see. Oh, God, I feel so much better now. Uh-huh.